0: uh, let's get straight into it. So we've got a new setup. Um, I don't know if you can tell this week, but, um, yeah. So just to quickly, um, start the podcast with some of the points that we're going to go over. Um, we are going to have fast touch on the end of your keto experience. Yeah. Um, how much tracking is helpful, um, along with the start of my plant-based experience, um, and some points on that. So, um, yeah, Faz, how's your week been, or the last two weeks that we've not seen each
1: other? Um, it's been all right. It's been all right, yes. Um, I've had, uh, I had a bit of a flare-up of an injury um, a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was squatting. And it's, a, it's an injury which has flared up every now and again for the past year. And I don't know how it originally came about, but it's on my left quad. And um, I think it's just uh, lockdown stuff, like going from being very inactive, because I work mostly from home, doing less stuff. I think it's something that's probably going to afflict a lot of people. And then when gyms open back up again, getting back in there and possibly attempting too much too soon, which just causes wear and tear just from going from basically being very sedentary to then going back in the gyms. And um, I didn't do anything stupid. It was sets of 12 in the squat, but that was enough. I got up to like 130 kilos in November or whatever it was for, for, for five sets of 12. And um, I think it was like the third week going, or I didn't deload, or something. I did some kind of stupidity like that. And it went, and I remember it, it felt a little bit dodgy one week, and then it felt fine the Monday afterwards. Monday squat day, obviously, because uh, screw international chest day. <laughs> and <laughs> um, so I went back to it, and I still squat on it okay, so I went up to a lot, like 122.5, whatever it was, 125, I forget, but roughly in that 121.30 range. And then the next week, it still felt didn't feel great, but I managed to get away with it. But I was just so pleased to be able to squat and do my a proper leg workout again. So I carried on. I think it was the third week where I went in and it just went, it just went, and it, my my leg kind of shuddered a little bit, and so it took a while to heal. And that's popped up again, so that's kind of annoying. And it's popped up in, I guess, similar circumstances. The thing that I wasn't doing, which I probably wasn't doing it back in November, was deloading. It was yeah, deloading well. So, um, like, I'm a big fan of deloads with with all my clients. And um, I think a a good deload, sorry, on the third, fourth or fifth week, something like that is generally a good idea. I think going from sedentary back up to full speed, I needed to have that deload there for sure. I can get away with it sometimes, but going from being very, very sedentary, I don't think is a great idea. So um, yeah, that popped up again in the week, but it's feeling better now, I'm already back on it. In terms of changes that I'm gonna make moving forward, Um, I think I'm going to slowly slowly build up, but I'm just going to squat and lift a lot slower. Uh, I'm just not, I I always have problems with fast explosive lifting these days. I think it's just age uh, and being under the weights for that long. Uh, So I've been lifting now for like 21, 22 years, something like that. So uh, it's a long time. And then I think, especially this last year, going from being sedentary, you know, a lot of sedentary around around the the office, into gyms, then having gym access cut, and all that kind of stuff. I think it just makes it harder and harder. So um, the reintroduction of exercise this time, we hopefully, we'll have the end of COVID now. Should be a lot more gentle. So um, yeah, I think that's. I think that's kind of that's that's where I'm at with that. But yeah, no. Other than that, I've been all right. That was a bit of a segue. But yeah, other than that, I've been okay. All good. Mm.
0: Great. Yeah, I'm sure like a lot of us that. Um when we do return to the gyms can experience or, or expect to experience like a lot of soreness <laughs> after the first sessions especially with legs so um no that's, that's interesting I was going to say um just very quickly have you like ever tried to take unconventional approaches to like say like if you're um approaching like a squat workout um like you know with like uh Colin's kind of videos and stuff that he shares um from Scotland You're from from Scotland um you know like the zercher holds and kind of split squats and stuff have you ever taken that approach or just very quickly on that like with your approach to like training for muscle groups um if you've kind of taken that previously or tried that and how that's worked
1: so i i did do briefly last year so colin is a friend of mine who uh, runs performance sports therapy up in edinburgh <clears throat> he's an old friend of mine he's been on the podcast for he's i've known him now for about 20 years he's great and um yeah, for a while I did do a lot of um, off stance squats, which are really good for the quads. They're a little bit like split stance squats, but you don't have the same degree of uh, balance issues. So if you can imagine going in a squat, and let's say you're going to squat with your left leg, okay, you just put your right leg slightly behind you, and that's it. But it's still on the floor. You're probably on your tiptoes, but you're still your legs, are, your upper legs are still even as it were at the beginning, at the top, but your back leg is slightly back, kind of like you're doing a um, side chest pose in bodybuilding, right? (laughs) And then you have a bar on your back and you squat down, so the back leg is just there for balance. So that is actually a really good movement. And then single leg Romanian deadlifts, he does that a lot as well. So I did do for a while. It's actually a very, very good approach. Um, I'm a big fan of the single leg work. And I I think, and according to Colin as well, I probably got some kind of imbalance in my um, hips. Like, I know this because when I was competing, I would get much more soreness in my left knee. And I realized years later, when I was doing some physio, that my left leg is like slightly longer than my right leg. It's like just normal human imbalance. like And I mean, that's fine. Like, we all have, you know, stuff like that. It's like um, <laughs> guys will have like one ball longer, <laughs> drop longer than another, or like girls will have like one, one, you know, one breast, like different size. It's just very normal, very natural stuff. <laughs> What what a topic to start on. Just balls and tits. So but yeah, so um, but yeah, like it's very normal. But I think that can at the heavier weights that can affect the pathology of your hips. So yeah, I've tried that and actually um got a lot of good results with that. Um and I love single leg work. Uh, honestly, the reason that I didn't do it is it's mostly just me being a meathead and I like squats, I like deadlifts, and I like lifting heavy, and you can't go as heavy on the yeah, it's mental stuff. Um, you can't go as heavy on a single leg or, or splots, split squats or the Romanian deadlifts. So uh, I kind of phased them out. But actually, it's something which I would like to get back into. So maybe I'll start to implement those back in again because they are tremendously useful movements for sure. Mm.
0: No, there I was pointing back to, like, to like myself, like as in me. <laughs> but um, you know, yeah. it is mental as well. <laughs> I thought I'd just touch on that because I was very stubborn with that as well. And then when I tried it, I was like, wow, like my legs are wrecked, my quads are wrecked. So I thought I'd just share that um, just quickly. Um, but yeah, um, let's, uh, if you if want to move into like your experience with, um, I think we have touched on it on previous podcasts of like talking about keto, which um, previous listeners um, or people that listen to the podcast regularly would have um, been listening to. But um, I guess like, do you want to kind of recap it now? Or do you want to talk about like, your experience or i could kind of like question you so like what were your kind of initial thoughts going into it and like we could structure it like that um let me know like how you want to go about yeah, that.
1: Well, I, I guess i'll introduce what my expectations were going into it it's like why did i do keto it's a very strange so when um when i went into keto i and this was about eight weeks ago now so i intended to do an eight-week experiment and uh, my initial thoughts were i just wanted to I just wanted to get some experience in doing it because I had a mental aversion to hearing about keto. Like I, someone said keto to me, I would just think, uh, it would just, it was just, it was the same aversion that I have to other like fads and all that kind of stuff. And um, whether we want to call keto a fad or not, I don't know, but I think there are people out there who would think, yeah, it's a fad. People out there who go, no, it's a way of life or whatever. There wasn't, there was very little in between. And so I want to explore that because I had a very strong aversion to it. So I want to explore why I have a strong aversion to it. Sort of for my own benefit, like for my own education. I thought I'll try this experiment for eight weeks. And um, with regards to, um, it was something I was moving towards anyway, which was a lack of tracking. So and that's a topic we'll get into another time. So it fit my diet model in that sense. I liked eating vegetables. I, I like eating meat. Uh, that sits well with me. So let's just see how this goes, like see how a keto approach goes. So as I looked into it, that was the initial curiosity it was like, Firstly, why do I have such a strong aversion to the name keto? Because just the name makes it come across as a very fatty thing. And uh, part of that comes from me having a lot of my sort of movement in evidence-based circles. And there's a strong anti-keto bias in evidence-based circles. It's very strong. I think there's a strong anti-fad bias. Whatever the evidence-based circle considers to be a fad, there's a strong bias against that in their circle. So, I mean, you'll see that with vegan stuff will see that with keto stuff as well so um yeah i mean that was my first thing to basically it seemed relatively sensible on the, on the face of it so but i wanted to see get a nitty-gritty of let's just see uh, what was what it all about uh i mean i guess you can relate to that with the plant-based stuff right
0: no definitely this is something that i i kind of touched on with like on notes for this podcast um but because not not to go into this because i want to kind of hear more from you on, on keto but when i first started discovering and learning about plant based and when i went vegan for that kind of year i felt like i was going crazy because i was like because because people were looking at me like why are you doing vegan like and they were they were, they were treating me very differently in terms of like can you eat this can you eat that oh how are you feeling on this hype and i was like i i i felt like i was going crazy because i was like i'm looking into this and researching into this and listening to you know the benefits of this um and we'll go into this with like the evidence if 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 you want to touch on that, um, or what 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 is out there. But yeah, like that that kind of stigma around trying something or trying something different. Um, I feel like I'm going off on a tangent, but I feel like you know, there is like this kind of um social stigma around this kind of because it's it's like with keto and stuff, you know, people hear about it, but they don't really look into it and they Get these little sound bites from social media and stuff, and they kind of use, they don't really, yeah, they, they just kind of listen to the sound bites and then go off on that. They just perpetuate it, if that makes sense, mm. um without any real experience or understanding of it. So, from my experience with plant based, uh, that first time around, which I'll go into later, not to take too much time away from you, was that kind of social stigma of being treated differently and looked at differently as well at, at times? um Or maybe there was no understanding between like, the conversation or the experience of uh talking to other people about it but um yeah it's like I was the only one doing the plant-based approach and everyone else was, di- was different to me so that paid into it as well I think um so yeah so that's just to touch on my experience with that very quickly but um did, did you have any like any say biases towards keto just from what you heard obviously like in the, in the evidence-based community, I I would ask you that just to follow up before trying keto or it was, was this your first time trying keto
1: as well? Um, I tried it a a couple of times before. And also my elder brother had done it about 23 years ago, back in about 98 when he was at university uh, and he got absolutely shredded on it. So he's, he's a guy I talk to a lot about this kind of stuff. Um, He's not a big lifter and he's not all that, but he just does a little bit and we used to lift together. But anyway, so he's he's kind of relatively pro-keto. You know, he's not done it since, but he knows it can be used quite useful. Um, he used to do a different version of it. But I guess I wanted to circle back into the whole misunderstandings about keto and about veganism. Now, can we actually broaden that out a little bit and have misunderstandings about just being in shape in general? I know this might sound like a little bit um, out there, but I remember when I got really content shredded, I had very mixed feedback. From people. It wasn't all positive. It very much like keto or like veganism. It very much alienated people. It polarized people. So some people would look at my pictures and go, yeah, amazing, awesome, fantastic. You know, you look great, really like a roadmap, all that kind of stuff. Um I actually had a, a good friend of mine, well, who used to be a good friend, kind of had a falling out. Um, and she made a really nasty comment on one of my pictures and um, it was, uh, you can tell why we head falling out. Uh, it was a really, really bitchy comment. And it was based on like a physique shot that I put up. And um, I remember Bill, that would be one of the first times that I was quite taken aback by someone's reaction to my physique. You know, you don't really get those reactions to your strength. Like when I was very, very strong, you don't have those reactions there. Strength is more of a abstract concept. I think this is the way I explained it. Strength is an abstract concept that people can't really understand. Like if I, if I said to the layman, hey, I deadlifted 300 kilos. And they'd be like, they don't understand what that is. They're like, oh, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot of bags of sugar or something like that, right? <laughs> There's a whole room full of sugar. So, but like, they don't really understand what it is on the bar. And so, if someone says I deadlift two twenty, someone says I deadlift three hundred, they just know that three hundred is more. But then if they look at the at the news and go, oh well, halford Bjornson, they lifted five hundred. Well, you're yeah, three hundred shit. And you know, so they don't have perspective. You know, they don't really truly know. So, they don't. Powerlifting wasn't really a, a negative experience for me in that respect but going into bodybuilding was almost immediately met by some negativity because I was trying to do something which people I guess could relate to in a way and and that was a girl that was a woman you know who who made that comment but I had quite a few odd comments which was the first to me because I'm a former fat guy right I'm a former fat boy and so I was always kind of I was never you know one who was sort of like never had that great chill ripped physique ever you know so I went into the first time and the first time people were looking at me like Holy shit, Faz is actually but that I felt the same inside. But I guess that was something that resonated in them that perhaps made them feel insecure, made them feel nervous. Perhaps it was it was pointing at their perception of me previously, and I challenged their perception. I don't know, but um, I think I think perhaps would you? I don't know. I guess I'd open it out to you. I mean, we're talking about keto and veganism, uh, and you know, trying things, improving ourselves, doing something positive. And with, when we're talking about relatable things, our bodies—everyone sees their body when they come out of the shower—and the food that we eat. Could we expand that out to say, well, actually, this is more of a problem in society when you see people who were formerly like on your level, kind of like do something which makes you uncomfortable with where you are. I don't know.
0: One thousand percent. So, quick plug. Um, I've got a quick short on my YouTube of um titled i think social stigma of being in shape which was on your podcast um and yeah. that was a, i think a question that you you use multiple times with uh your clients in the podcast when you kind of recap the experience of the um the, the dieting phase i think with um was it josh sorry josh deacon yeah yeah yeah, josh deacon i think you asked him about it you asked me about it did you ask Kirko about it as well
1: when you yeah podcast? well Kirko is going to be on the podcast too we had to rearrange but It'd be interesting to know what he's felt because his change has been dramatic
0: yeah so um so my background's kind of similar to yours but it's it's kind of not because i started out i started out you know falling in love with the the deadlift uh and i remember like posting those clips up on instagram like when i initially started my kind of um journey with the gym and lifting um and taking it you know more seriously than any other part um Of my previous you know life but yeah I think the moment like when I started dieting down and getting to that I don't know if it's like if people can't relate to the 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 dieting down to like that level of leanness um and I told you like I was the last one to kind of know about it (laughs) after all the comments and stuff and the pictures that I put up I was the last one to kind of find out like wow like you know what you did I think uh, we went over this like it took me a long time to realize that what I did, like, in oh. hindsight, like, yeah, it took me it took it took me a long time to like kind of look at pictures and and think, wow, like, you did you did you did something there, you know? Do you know what I mean? Like, but in the in the moment, I didn't really see it at all. I didn't really experience it. And the offhanded comments, like, wow, you're skinny now, like, wow, like, you got really skinny, and you know, comments like that, and oh. I preferred you when you were heavier like um we went over this previously already but little comments like that um it does it does do something to you like in the moment of when it is, is kind of said you're kind of questioning yourself and doubting yourself like is what i did you know was it the best thing to do or so stuff like that i think um can be expanded out like you said um and i experienced that with like veganism as well like or, or going vegan and when when people when people hear veganism, they think like, oh, it's like a moral thing, um, which you which you can take, I guess, from that. But I was kind of approaching it more from like the the diet aspect and just lo- looking into it and seeing what's it all all about. Um, so I don't know if like the stick the st- stigma there was, you know, like a moral one, um, which I can see why because you know you have those people within the vegan community that have a certain approach of you know getting the message across which is quite aggressive and when people see that along with like the keto crowd as well you could say um there's there's that end of the there's that end of the crowd um so with that i can understand where they're coming from but yeah i felt like i was going crazy when i was trying the vegan approach and i felt like i was being um not singled out probably but it kept it kept getting brought up in conversations when I wasn't even when I wasn't even talking about it and it was like um so can you eat this can you eat that and I'm like we're not even talking about like that so like I'm not even bringing it up (laughs) like you like you know that I'm trying it out and you're it's like like they're more interested in it than you are and yeah that's the best way I I can explain it like I thought I was going mad like I was just like what's the obsession with it like I didn't get it
1: I think um it it sort of goes into an even broader topic about like social relationships and the way people see you i think when we have friends we have friends who we see on as as on par with us we have friends who we see above us below us all that kind of stuff and um i think sometimes if we're seeing somebody who previously we thought was like on our level or below us some in some sort of weird social construct and i'm aware i'm speaking in very general terms here but like and they do something which basically accelerates their physique way above, that tends to then call your relationship with that person to question. And you will do it completely, and I did it as well, completely without knowing how that would affect my relationships. And for the people that mattered, it didn't affect my relationship at all. But for those who were on the periphery and who possibly were, had, a, had a relationship with me, which they felt they were getting some sort of, I don't know, ego trip, it made them feel uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there were, there were lots of weird comments. That was just one that I picked out from uh, of, of, of that former friend. But it, it kind of made me see her in a very different light. It was like, well, what, what is it she gets from our friendship? You know, does she feel like um, she's on this sort of level and I'm not here? And that's how she likes it. And then when I sort of flipped that around, it was like that made her feel like, oh, that almost made her feel insecure. And I know that she's a very insecure person anyway. So that would fit into that mold. So it's one of those things where people talk about having like haters and stuff like that. And I never really believed in that whole thing because I don't like it because apparently everyone's got hatred in 2021. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think it's definitely something, I, we, if we're looking at social constructs of society, I think even when someone flips a relationship on its head, that can cause a very weird sort of guttural reaction to some people who aren't able to really um, intellectualize what they're feeling because they don't have the emotional capacity to do that. Um, And then they just blurt something out, which is actually, well, it can be quite upsetting. Like like you felt like you experienced. So did I. Mm.
0: Yeah. Like I I like to approach just, you know, everyday life with like, I don't think, I don't feel like people are out there trying to go out there and spread hate and they're trying to do bad things, but you find certain situations where like you come across it and you're like, you're thinking to yourself, like, you know, why is this happening? Like you're trying to rationalize it in your head. Like, why am I experiencing this? Or, why when i'm in these situations does this keep happening and you you try and rationalize it but do you think it's hard to rationalize at times like you you could probably go through it in your head a million times and then that does more harm than good it's just that's just leaving it like where it is
1: i think there's normally a reason behind it um so just as a bit of a side note when i was a a school teacher um and i i always believed that a kid coming into my classroom would want to learn that was the basis of how i taught like they all want to learn, they all want to, because they, they've turned up, you know. Regardless, if they've turned up complaining, they've turned up, right. If they've turned up late, they've turned up. So if they are doing something odd, and, you know, they are misbehaving or whatever, right, or they're not getting on with the work, I used to pull them outside and just ask three, three simple words, like, what's going on? And if you just say that, and you just listen, you, you, can, you can hear a lot. So there's normally some reason behind it. Now, kids are a lot more honest than adults. So you, don't, you can't always ask that question to an adult who has years and years of built-up suppression of these feelings, and you've done something unknowingly to pick apart these feelings. Like let's say all of a sudden you've gone vegan or you've got shredded, and then it makes them feel bad about themselves because you don't know, but you've pinched upon a nerve because they have some sort of eating disorder or weirdness about food, but they don't find it interesting. They, they have a moral attachment to food. All of a sudden it becomes like where I would listen to a vegan experience and go, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. Um, somebody else who's got a moral attachment to food or some sort of um disordered attachment to food would then look at that and say, Well, actually, you know what, I feel uncomfortable hearing about this because I don't because I have such a strong aversion to it, which is actually going back to the original topic, why I wanted to try out keto, because I had an aversion against it. That's nice little segue back to away from that tangent. But, uh, yes, I guess that was um, that was why I've, I found the whole thing quite interesting. But I think that possibly explains why you get some negative reactions um, to to stuff like that. And it, it tends to be the, the polar opposites. Like the person who's freaked out about your food probably has a bad relationship with their food themselves. The person who's freaked out about your body, about my body, probably has uh, a bad um, relationship with their own body as well. You know um so yeah i guess that's kind of the way i handled it in the end but it was quite upsetting because it was so shocking because it came from a friend of mine i mean there were multiple people but in this place in particular uh, she was a friend and that's why it was more shocking than it would from someone else i think people listening um
0: maybe maybe comment below on youtube if you're listening to this but um like it makes more sense to me now like like having this discussion and listening to about you know how you're talking about it um even like from your experience um just listening to your experience it makes sense to me like it makes more sense to me now from the situations that i've experienced so yeah maybe like um people have experienced this as well that are listening um but i think yeah like you need to experience it and it makes more sense kind of reflecting on it rather than when it was happening in the moment because it can be quite confusing in the moment i think yeah so
1: um, I would really love to hear from that audience if they felt it themselves, and if they, or, or what, what example of, did, well, what were they trying to do? Were they trying to lose weight? Were they trying to build muscle? Were they trying to eat a different way? Were they just trying to get like educated or, or do something weight Were they trying to be more productive? You know, and did they find like a snapback and did it, which they couldn't really explain at the time? But I'd love to hear that because I find that stuff fascinating. I really do.
0: Do they have, like, a hobby that, you know, they're, they're afraid to, like, you know, um, reveal or something? Like, something like that, like, just in general, I think. Um,
1: but, yeah. I, got I, yeah. I got it once, right? I'll tell you a funny story about that. I've got it once when I stopped powerlifting. I used to powerlift with a crew, and it was about four guys. And one guy was this big, huge lump of a guy. And um, I don't know, he, had, he seemed to have this weird relationship with me. Like, I don't know if you thought I was a father figure to him or something like that, but when I stopped lifting with the group, he took it actually personally. It was strange that when I stopped powerlifting and I started, you know, doing whatever I did in between, I did a little bit of like bodybuilding, a bit of, you know, like functional kind of stuff. He took it personally. He would text me, and he would be like joking banter, but actually upset that I had given up powerlifting and I was going into something else. And that was like, whoa, you know, and that really it struck me as being like perhaps I had touched on a nerve with him. It was incredible. I don't know. but he was, And it was more than just like subtle banter. It was quite heavy. Like, he really wanted me to get back to the crew and powerlift. He didn't like the fact I had left the powerlifting and crew, and I had done something else, and I was looking lean. Well, I don't know. He didn't comment on the physique or anything, but presumably, you know, my goals, they did something to him gutturally. And they made him feel insecure in some way. But it happens in the honest ways i mean most of the other guys they were like hey cool um there was a bit of banter about bodybuilding and all that kind of stuff but most of them were like yeah cool you know enjoy yourself i mean i I was like at least six years older than most of them so you know and i'd be lifting for a while so yeah it was very different interesting interesting so that was your (laughs) that was like a little chat of
0: you going into keto but um what were you like let's just talk about um probably the setup or the information like how did you or we could like, yeah, just if you wanted to, kind of pair like, how did you get your info? How did you set it up? Or like, what was your first week in taquito like? Want to share that?
1: Yeah. So, um, in terms of the setup, let's go. Let's go. Let's go talk about X's and O's, and let's go hard setup. So, in terms of the setup, it would be four meals a day, and each meal would predominantly be a lot of vegetables. That was the how I started every meal off with a lot of vegetables. About 200 grams of vegetables per meal. This is at the beginning. And those were just a range of different vegetables, whatever I could get my hands on, really, from uh, you know the shops. So, like uh, these are and were all usually frozen vegetables. So, it could be garden peas, carrots, green beans, um, spinach, lettuce in the beginning, all that kind of stuff. And then alongside that would be a heavy portion of protein, and then some fats. So, in general, you're looking at um, chicken, lamb, beef, pork, all that kind of stuff, and alongside that um, probably some extra cheese, eggs, all that kind of stuff to make up the fats. I was doing very much a more more sort of modern version of keto where the protein was a lot higher. So my protein on most days was roughly in that two to 250 gram range for a guy like me who weighs about 180 to 190. And vegetable intake was roughly in the 800 gram range. Fat intake was about a hundred or so grams with carbs. And this is where it gets a little bit weird carbs being about 80 to 90 grams. So I did that for about six weeks and I actually felt great doing that. So it wasn't too dissimilar to my previous diet where I'd really prioritized uh, vegetables and I had a stronger emphasis on protein. Yeah. What was the,
0: um, did you experience any kind of metabolic shift or like, yeah, just to touch on that quickly.
1: Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, because I bought some keto strips and (laughs) (laughs) If anyone's confused about what keto strips are, it's the most disgusting thing ever. Uh, <laughs> so basically these keto strips, they are designed to tell you if your body is excreting ketones. So your body produces ketones like every day, but if you've got enough of them that your body is um, w- essentially wasting them, you did pee them out. So basically what you have to do is you're gonna grab this every time you ever pee, you gotta grab this box, take off the lid, take a little thing out, a little like uh, straw. And then you've got to pee on it <laughs> so you've got to let it under your pee stream for like five or ten seconds it's the, it's the most it's the weirdest thing um so yeah so that then give just lets you know whether you're in ketosis or not now for the first however many weeks i wasn't in a great ketosis at all like it was very very light and i would say not at all now that i then went to look online to see if this is normal and I was told online that yeah, this is normal. In fact, you and I had the conversation, and the idea is that you you don't if you're very well very well fat adapted, you don't actually see the ketones in your bloodstream because you just use them up, and that kind of made sense to me because prior to that point, I had done a lot of fasting, so I probably was very fast adapted. And to as a brief segue to for the audience, talking about what fat adapted means, fat adapted is this um, body's ability to run on rather than run on carbs so most people uh, walk through life and eat you know good sort of four or five balanced meals per day and they you run their system runs on carbs essentially now once you get to the point where you're either um, you've had very low carbs or you've just not eaten like fasting you go into a state of either nutritional or starvation ketosis and ketosis was where your body creates ketones from your fat and that's what you run on and there are various advantages to that And that's kind of what I was part of what I was testing. So ketones in general, because you're burning your own fat, you generally tend to have a much more even level of energy throughout the day. The example that I was, the analogy that I was given was uh, running on carbs is a bit like um, running on turbo in your car. So like the the turbo injection, because you're constantly revving it. With every meal, you go for a meal and then you slow down. Then you go to the next meal, you have some carbs and you slow down. With keto, it's far more consistent energy. Um... And that's kind of what I experienced, but anyway, so that was the setup. And then I used the keto sticks to ensure that I was in ketosis. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of roughly the first, I guess, week or two of that, yeah. Sorry, was that your question?
0: Yeah, so like the initial stages and how you felt going into it. Um,
1: oh yeah, so, yeah, sorry, yeah. So in terms of how I felt, I, I didn't feel that different, I'll be honest. I was expecting to feel worse because people talk about the keto flu, so if you do try the ketosis and you do get it right you'll go into ketosis and you'll have the keto flu which is this weird thing that happens uh, where your electrolytes get a little bit messed up so your body excretes a lot of electrolytes through a process called diuresis where you just hold where you let go of a lot of water and your body let go let go let's go of a lot of sodium and potassium as well so that's what causes um you to feel if you've ever for example been on a bender and you wake up the next morning, and uh, you've got a headache, it's a similar feeling to that, because you're lacking, you're dehydrated, you're lacking electrolytes, so as I said, this can't be cured by just water, so you've got to actually have electrolytes and replace those that you're expending, so um, yeah, within that first week or two, you drop a lot of water, and that's why you drop a lot of water, um, because your body expels a lot of the water and the and the electrolytes, so then you, you that's what makes you feel bad, yeah, so I, I didn't really get much of that, now I assumed at the time, I didn't get much of that because I was already fat adapted. Um, that was my assumption because I'd done a lot of fasting previously. So I'd been in ketosis, you know, I'd fasted for like five days at the beginning of December. So I knew what ketosis was. Um, so that was what I assumed. I assumed that this wasn't something that applied to me because I um, was used to it. And people say, once you've been in ketosis for a while, you don't get the keto flu. So that was my assumption at the time. So going into it, it actually didn't feel very different at all. I thought, well, this is rather easy. I, I, I did feel, though, a far more um, balanced sense of energy. So within the first week or two, my energy levels were far more balanced. Like my mood was a lot better. I didn't used to get where I, I'm not a very morning person, but I went from uh, that to being much more active and more sociable in the morning. Um, my sleep was better in the beginning. So in general, I felt I was calmer overall and my um, energy source was sort of a little more even so there was that that so it was positive going into it for sure
0: all right okay yeah because um this might lead into a question that you might want to answer later or sooner um but like the benefits that you found with keto but um yeah so we talked about the before the beginning i don't know if you want to kind of touch on like um Points of how you improved the process going going into it and initially and then you kind of found out oh no maybe this works better or you found something works better while you were doing it because it's you're never going to get something perfect the first time or the first in the first stages which I think people try and get stuff perfect like straight off the bat and I think that kind of might ruin the experience so it's like try it you're going to make mistakes and then you adapt and then you Go forward with that. And then it's like a learning experience. So yeah, so your initial stages, I guess you could probably, would you say, like the amount of was it carbs that you did you drop the amount of carbs um to get in, into that benefit of keto? Um, so like, yeah, so beginning and then you worked your way towards say the middle of the experience.
1: So, like as I was working my way through the middle, I was taking uh refeats on the weekend, which probably weren't that productive now at the time i was really into a lot of what mena was talking about with uh, sustainability of diet and consistency of diet being above and beyond this whole pulsatility of keto during a week and refeeds at the weekend and i was really a lot into cyclical dieting now i was i i was into a bit of a uh, crossroads because i i felt that like my training sessions were becoming um, less and less productive i just didn't have the energy and so I went into a refeed on the weekends and the refeed on the weekends just made me feel awful. So if you remember me saying I didn't really get the keto flu, but actually it was the refeed weekend which made me feel terrible. So coming out of the back of those, like I just felt like it just felt bad. You know, my body felt tired. I would literally feel like I had done a marathon uh, the day before after, after having a refeed so the refeed would make me feel tired in the morning so that was unusual so going from a week of having very little carbs to then refeeding on say a saturday night i'd feel worse the sunday morning not better now for performance it would actually be quite good but general well-being wouldn't feel great so i went through this for a couple of weeks where there was this pulsatility and this sort of contradiction because my exercise performance was probably getting worse but on the other side of things I, once I refed, I felt worse. So I didn't really know what to do. Now, people were suggesting like a targeted ketogenic diet so you could have some carbs prior. I never really felt comfortable with doing that. I don't know why I had a bit of an aversion to that. I I just didn't really like the idea of having the carbs prior to the workout. Um, I don't know. Maybe that was something that I should have tried. But, um, so it ended up being a very pulsatile sort of few weeks as I went into the middle of the experiment where I was refeeding, feeling worse, And eventually, basically every week, the refeeds got shorter and shorter until the last week I had like a meal. And then the week after, I just skipped it altogether. And that was when I felt good. But again, exercise performance was sort of going down. So I was like, this is not great. So that was kind of how I sort of went into it. Um, In general, up until the midpoint, um, I liked the mental effects. I like how I felt in my body, but I felt gym performance was going down. So it was good for health and well-being, but gym performance was going down. And then about that time before the uh, end, I'll just say I uh, had some blood work. I get regular blood work. And um, interestingly enough, that blood work was my best ever. So my, my, uh, it was mostly my cholesterol, which was fantastic. Like it's always good. I never have a problem with it, but it was literally better than it's ever been. So my HDL was higher than it's ever been. My LDL was lower than it's ever been and everything else was in range. So I was like, wow, this is something, you know, this is pretty cool. Now, we don't really know what the cause of that was. Was it just the fact that I was eating more vegetables? I don't know. Blah, 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 who knows what it was? Was it just the fact that I was eating, quote, unquote, cleaner during the course of the week? But certainly the higher fat intake wasn't detrimental to the cholesterol. So that was quite an interesting to note. And I think for people who are worried about and I was eating at the time probably three, four, five, six eggs a day. So eggs didn't seem to affect the cholesterol negatively. If anything, they had a positive benefit. So for people my age, that's, Um, quite good to know because you don't want to be on a diet which is going to screw your blood work so while my fat intake wasn't super high like it was only about 100 150 grams um it certainly was higher than it would be at like 50 to 100 grams so um yeah i think that was that so that was quite um positive for me to see it's like okay i mean you know this is something that's um i check regularly and actually i've seen some improvement so that was cool now as i went into the final couple of weeks That was when I implemented um, more of a strict keto approach and I really down-regulated the amount of carbs. So I went to like 25 grams. And um, yeah, that was all right. It, um, again, felt very restrictive. I was definitely in ketosis, so that was good. I still felt all the mental clarity, all the health benefits. I didn't feel that different to where I felt on higher carbs. So ultimately, the difference between the low-carb for me and the ketogenic diet wasn't a massive difference um, in terms of how I felt or how I performed. So I very quickly skipped that and ended the experiment, yeah. All
0: right, I've got a lot. So um, I might timestamp this as biofeedback or understanding your biofeedback, because this will touch in nicely with the, how much should you track um, segment. Um, So I kind of, this is what I've um, experienced, Baz. You have, you have the golden era, right? Which is all about biofeedback, listening to your body. And then you, we start progressing towards where we are now. And it's all like the data, the data, tracking, Fitbits, calorie counters, spreadsheets. And like, there's no here, <laughs> if that makes sense. So like what you were describing there about how the repeats made you feel, um, it's like, I can see people kind of ignoring that and then just sticking to the plan. Um, so yeah what's your experience with like the importance of understanding your biofeedback and how your body feels because i feel like a lot of people they're not in tune with their body basically i know it sounds a bit you know (laughs) out there but it's like yeah are are you have you seen that or experienced that where people kind of ignore the biofeedback that they're experiencing
1: um so here's a tip for for people at home who who are listening um one of the best things that i've started to do with in terms of organizing my own biofeedback was to start writing a diary. So on the, for all of my clients, I have a space on their trackers where they can write their daily thoughts. And I have my own. Now I write quite detailed notes. So usually when I've got a few minutes during the course of the day, and there's something to say, so it won't be every day. It'll be every two, three days, sometimes it's every day. But um, I'll, I'll give sort of a synopsis of how I'm feeling. And I'll usually cover like diet, training, um, supplementation, stuff like that, um, sleep. Um, and that's, for me, that's a lot more important than body weight because I, body weight will be, I usually weigh myself, I don't know, every two days or so, something like that. I don't weigh myself every day anymore, but uh, it's useful to have alongside because that lets me know it puts it to context on a lot of my comments, but yeah, that was probably the most useful thing I did. And so for people at home thinking about sort of trying to make sense of their own bodies, I would start to write a diary and start to look at where the trends are because then and only then can you actually go back and see your thoughts organized in a way which is coherent and time stamped so yeah I i mean I'm not better at it than anyone else like I know about my body to a certain extent but being able to actually write it down is crucial because you can forget things very very easily I mean I think we've all been there before where we've like we've been on a really good training routine and we've changed it and then like a year down the line go man that training routine was great why did i change it and so it's very similar with diet and supplementation and all that kind of stuff so yeah for sure that was a big thing for me was actually writing it down that makes the process a lot more formalized
0: yeah and just to like touch on like um like say like rpe uh people might look at rpe think that's like you know a a way of not training hard but um kind of going off of how you feel on the day because you're not going to feel the same are you every day when you come to train or every week depending on various different factors going on in your life like sleep or you had a bad day or something and then using rpe like would you agree with that like going in on a day and saying the benefit like of rpe could be you need to hit like an eight or or a nine today and that eight or nine could be different on next week um so like yeah just to touch on that on kind of listening to your body um rather than kind of forcing it is that makes sense
1: and then I think basically what, what you can then look at is look at trends. So let's say, for example, you um, you hit a new squat PR, you know, like after a couple of months, you can look back at what led up to that. You know, was it a series of ever increasing um, RPEs? Um, was it a variety of different RPEs? Was that correlated to your sleep somehow? Was it correlated to your body weight? Was it correlated to a lot of things? And you can start to piece together. You can reverse engineer it. Now, Reverse engineering things is not always great because, but it is useful. It's not always great because the body tends, the mind tends to um, want to look for patterns. So, if you're retrospectively looking, it's a lot easier to find a pattern. Like people make this mistake when they're day trading shares and they look at charts and they go, "Ah, you see, that's why because this happens." Like, yeah, but it doesn't always work for the future. So, yeah, I mean, it, it still is more information on yourself and that's useful. So. Yeah, you can list down all these things. And then when a major event happens, like you have a squat PR or you have an injury, you know, you can then go back and look at what led up to that. So at least you've got that log. And sometimes it's very obvious. Like it's not obvious at the time, but sometimes it's very obvious. Hopefully you start to see trends and that's when it becomes really useful. But I will say the day-to-day is just writing stuff down. Don't feel like every day you're going to find something massively revolutionary because you're not. It's just data entry. And then when something eventful happens or you want to summarize a month or two, you can look back and the data's there. That's really what... So people should adopt that attitude, like you're not going to find the revelation every single day. You are simply data entry for now. And then when you need to, you can evaluate and look back. And that's when it's useful. So just get it done, basically.
0: And just to quickly touch on the benefits of blood work, um, not to like plug uh, Derek for more plates, more dates again, <laughs> in two podcasts in a row, but... Uh, <laughs> One um, of his videos that really um, stays with me um, is, you know, this. Um, so, just to quickly back from that, um, saying that one approach is the best approach for everyone is very harmful, I think. Um, and in one of his videos, just to go back to that, um, he um, documents his, his experience going with the vertical diet. And um, it's not San Efferding's fault um, of, you know, saying, because it's, it's his diet, it's his approach. Uh, he includes eggs in in his vertical diet, um, and Derek, um, in his d- documentary or experience of you know going through it, he says that um, the eggs didn't work well for him because he got his blood work done after consuming you know eggs in his diet. Um, he found in, in his blood work, I think it was, I'm not too sure. Um, Double check me on this. I think it was cholesterol that was raised. I think I'm not too sure. Um, so, something in his in his blood work went up, and then he removed the eggs, and then that whatever it was came back da- came back down so the benefits the benefits of blood work I think it's like not being ignorant to what's going on I guess um which is something that I need to do and yeah I really need to like get my blood work done um but yeah like to, to, to touch on that like you're you're saying that you did, you did this approach um and because I've come across this with like vegans who say like oh meat does this meat does that um based on like you know these claims of it was like uh, eggs are more dangerous than uh, cigarettes or tobacco or something. That's something that's I've heard be used. Um,
1: eggs, eggs have been thrown under the bus for many decades by various people. So yeah,
0: and it's like yeah. the industries, um, the industries ignoring this, or the industries, the industries funding these evidence papers or whatever. You've got that as well. That's out there um, about eggs. Um, or the, the yeah, they use the argument of they're being paid to make or fund these studies to show that eggs are not as harmful as they are. It's, it's all of that, isn't it? Um, but yeah, so j- just on the benefits of, bl- of blood work, you, you've got those results and you can, you can see what's happening, um, rather just yeah. making a statement of this is bad mm-hmm. and then just throwing it under the bus,
1: yeah. I think uh, just as a brief segue on to, about eggs if for people, because people who might be at home listening, they might be asking, wondering if eggs are actually okay to have or not. And um, the latest research shows that it's very clear, in general, if you're healthy, otherwise healthy, eggs are fine and possibly even beneficial. If you're using eggs or you're eating eggs as part of a diet, which is already skewed with a lot of fried food, so it's a lot of fried eggs with whatever else, and you're generally unhealthy, then they're going to have a net, net negative effect. So it's more a contextual argument. And that's why there's such a back and forth in the industry about whether eggs are good for you or not. But if you're like a bodybuilder, and you're eating healthy, you're training regularly, and you're at a good body fat level, not too excessive, then eggs are going to be absolutely fine within the context of a healthy diet. If you are having eggs in the context of a very, very unhealthy, like, um, I don't know, typical UK, US type of diet, then it's going to have a net negative, because the extra fat intake is probably going to make your blood a bit worse. So it really depends on the context of what you're eating, um, and what your general health is. So that's kind of where it's at. Um, and also, with, um, as with uh, Derek from More Plates, More Tates there are going to be individual factors there as well so for me eggs seem to be overwhelmingly positive for him they seem to be net negative so if anyone was at home wondering that's the general stance in the science literature now is that in general they're okay they're not just okay but they're good as part of a healthy diet with a healthy body fat level they become bad when they're used uh, in cooking recipes which promote um, obesity and, and whatnot. not that's, that's when they're bad because they just add to the overall fat content that's that's why the the con the, that's why there's always an argument about it because it's far more contextual so people on one side can use the argument say they're good people on the other side can use the argument to say it, it's bad because there's stuff there for both, but it's context driven so if you're young and healthy and you're fit and healthy you're good to go uh, and the final point is individual variances will apply as well so again it's a nuanced topic
0: exactly like when, when I hear people like you know him say take it for an individual, you know, basis, I think we should keep perpetuating that because um, it's more helpful than just saying, oh, it's bad, like just yeah. in general. Um, so yeah, that's just, that's just something that I wanted to touch on with that. And with the evidence um, that, that comes out for nutrition, um, I think I heard there's like 100,000 papers coming out. Um, I don't know roughly ha- uh, over what time, but the amount of papers that, that come out on nutrition it's just crazy to keep up with and you oh, they, have, they have teams trying to figure out and read and uh pick you know studies against studies and just see what's going on so the field's like crazy isn't it with ha- how much info comes out um every year i guess or even every six yeah. months
1: i i regularly go to pubmed and just do a search for like nutrition or fat loss or muscle building for the last six months it is a ton of stuff I mean, People are, people are coming out of studies all the time. So yeah, yeah there's one out there. still happening. Yeah, it's good. It's good. helps to move us forward. But uh, yeah, you know. But uh, yeah, anyway, so. Um, where were...
0: Yeah, if you wanted to. Um, yeah, is that everything that you wanted to share with us? Um,
1: on that? Yeah, so I think overall with the keto approach, you know, I think it's probably not for me, um, but there are elements of it which I really like. Um, and I like the fact that I like the mental benefits from that. And also the fact that you don't necessarily have to track because the diet in itself is self-limiting. You limit your calories as a result of the diet. Uh, I mean, people can still do that very wrong. But yeah, if they get their carbs too high um, and then it increases overall food intake because they don't get the appetite suppression effects. And I think that's where the misconception is because people, a lot of, people, a lot of sort of keto zealots talk about how it's all just about controlling insulin but it's it's so if your carbs get too high basically the problem is not in the carbs but the problem is you don't get the appetite suppression effects so that's when your overall calorie level goes higher because those same people who think it's all about insulin aren't tracking calories right or they're very bad at doing so uh, which a lot of people are um so then it becomes a case of well we've got to control insulin and then it becomes a case of well insulin is you know the hormone is res- responsible for fat loss it's like Ur! now we're kind of like missing the forest of the trees you know so um it's it's definitely still about calories and it's definitely just a way of allowing you to control calories for some people they'll have appetite suppression benefits for some people it'll actually make them feel better they'll feel relaxed calm blood work will be good for others it might be completely the other way but it's certainly very contextual driven but if we look at if we are if people are at home asking the question, well, why keto? It's like, well, the answer to that is quite simply, why not? I mean, you know, there's got you've got to adopt some way of eating which is outside of what society wants you to eat like. So if you you know, two-thirds of the UK and UK, UK and US population are overweight or obese, if we were just to leave it to the environment, then we would become obese, most of us by definition, by by, by standard protocol, we would become obese. So You've got to be, you've got to take control of your eating somehow. So people say, why keto? Well, because it's a method. Because if you don't have a method, then you are going to be exposed to what society wants you to eat. And this is an example I talk about with my clients all the time. It's like, what do you have for breakfast? Well, cereal. Why? Because you're told to have cereal, you know. Now I asked my mum, what would her her grandmother or her mother have ate for breakfast? And it would not have been cereal. You know, it wouldn't have been. It would have been something else. A lot of times they wouldn't have had breakfast. And then you think, I remember one of the first presents I got from my mum when I was a kid, I was like, I don't know, 12 years old. I got her a box of milk tray. Now you might be too young to remember this, but do you know why I got a milk tray? Can you guess? Um, it's, because, it's because the adverts at the time told, had the adverts said, all because the, the lady likes milk tray. And that was the advert. So as a 12-year-old kid, I was watching these adverts on TV and it was like, what do you get for a woman? What do you get for a lady? Well, you get her a box of milk tray because that's what the advert tells you to get. So that's why I got, I got my mom a box of milk tray. Because I was clueless, right? I was 12 years old, well, but I wanted to get my mom something for Mother's Day. And the first present I got was a box of milk tray. Why? Because the advert told me all because the lady loves milk tray. And at break time, how many people pack a Kit Kat bar for themselves for lunch at break, for, for, for you know, for a break? Because... The adverts tell you, have a break, have a KitKat. So we're told, constantly bombarded all the time with how to eat. So if we were just to leave it to the environment, say, okay, this is how we're going to eat, or you, you're driving around, you've got McDonald's breakfast in the morning, McDonald's breakfast is like pancakes, whatever, all that kind of stuff, a very, very heavy breakfast. And they're very strict about the meal time. You can only have it till 11 o'clock, or whatever it is. So you're constantly told how to eat. And that way of eating is probably going to land you probably statistically going to land you into being overweight or obese. So people ask, why keto? Well, my answer is, well, you've got to apply some kind of system because if you don't, then you are left to the environment that you live in. And generally, you're probably going to end up overweight or obese. Um, and one last example before we move on. I lived in South Korea for about a year and a half, a year. And I did some traveling after that. And I came back 76 kilos, which is very, very light for me, And I wasn't trying to diet. I wasn't trying at all. I just came back light simply because of that's what the society over there is. It, that's how it controls you. your eating. Whereas here in the UK, US, we end up obese. Whereas over there, you end up skinny. So environmental factors play a massive role. So again, why keto? Well, you've got to apply a system. And if you don't, it's got to be, then you're going to be left to the elements and you're probably going to end up unhealthy and overweight and contributing to, um, bad health outcomes in this country. So that that would be my answer, you know, to to why keto.
0: Man, I could touch on this. I could talk so much about that. This podcast is going on forever. Um,
1: but, <laughs> Yo, yeah. Please do like, actually, I know you lived in the UK and US. So please tell me your experience or what you were about to say.
0: So everyone, yeah, so there's different methods, right? Um, low fat, um, low carb, right? And there's, instead of arguing about which one's better, they both work. They both work. It's shown in the evidence as well. I think there's no like there's no real difference. There's no, there's no significant difference. Both work. Just find which one works for you. Um, people are going to have their own biases towards which one works because it works for them. Um, I don't think people are going out there, you know, spreading misinformation about this is. I think the reason why people say that is because it, it's worked so well for them. So they want to kind of spread the message, and they might come across as overzealous because of that. Um, but yeah, both both work um stop arguing about which one's better um just you know see which one which one works for you um i think that you would enjoy uh have you heard of michael gregor i've not actually
1: how oh, not today okay
0: i think you would enjoy his work um based on what you just said um to touch on the kind of supermarket the marketing and advertisement um aspect of what you just touched on um when you get to the checkout at supermarkets wire chocolates and Busy drinks placed there um, just, just before you check out and not like vegetables and fruits. Um, the way it's designed, you know, um, supermarkets would go. There would be no fitness industry, weight loss industry, if there wasn't this type of eating. Um, so think think about that. Um, if people made the choices of, let's just call it whole, whole food, um, there wouldn't be a weight loss industry. There wouldn't be, we wouldn't be in business. <laughs> if... If, if if you think think about it that way um it kind of opens your mind up to how to eat like, like you just mentioned the methods um and these products like the milk trays and the cereal boxes and stuff um that's a whole like that's that's another industry that you could you know talk about um but yeah so i, I just touched on the the approaches the two different approaches the marketing and ad, ad, advertisement aspect of it um well, uh, yeah, there's a lot there that I could, I could have touched on. Um,
1: I'll, I'll say one more thing. We've, this podcast will be quite long, I think, but um, we might have to make it two parts, but I'll say one more thing about that. The, the foods that are generally popularized as being advertised, to say, to buy, we know, we know in general, if we have a diet which composes of all of those foods, it's going to be unhealthy. Not, not, neither of us are suggesting that the occasional, you know, whatever, McDonald's is unhealthy. It's fine, like, have what you'll yeah. have, you know? But as part of an overall system. And I guess what I'd say is with the stuff that we're being bombarded with, like it generally is very high palatability foods. And that can be a problem because the problem is that when you have a series of high palatability foods, you end up not enjoying the uh, fresh, um, less processed foods. And That's the problem. Every step of a food being processed more and more can make it more and more delicious and yummy. Like, There are reasons why donuts are fantastic, you know. (laughs) But the problem is that high level of food platability can make the rest of your regular food look very, very bland in comparison. And I'll give you a very very good example of that. I sent out a newsletter on Friday and I sent one out this Friday, which uh, I know you've seen, and it was to do with vegetable intake and how I eat a lot of vegetables and how, um, you know, I have clients eating a lot of vegetables. Now, the reply I got was, I recall three different people, and you know who you are if you're listening, was can you give us some tips on how to eat so much vegetables, and how to prepare and how to cook and how to make so much vegetables taste nice. And like, I would love to be able to tell you guys some amazing way of like jazzing up your vegetables, but I put mine in the microwave and I eat them and they taste delicious to me because my taste buds aren't hyper wired to having like lots of sweet, sugary stuff. And um, so my answer is probably not going to be the one that they expect. My answer is probably going to be talking about food platability and actually why having such a dull palate of food is a bad thing because you don't, you don't actually appreciate the fresh flavors of fresh meat, vegetables, whatever else, you know, plant-based food, whatever else you don't get to appreciate those unprocessed flavors because your palate is so skewed so perverted in a way (laughs) by hyperplatable foods through modern processing so that is probably not the answer that people are going to expect but it's certainly the most helpful answer is use that if you don't feel that a wide array of vegetables is actually tasty because i think vegetables are delicious then maybe look at why that is and if you had asked me this 10 20 years ago i would have been the same like i didn't like the taste of vegetables i hated them and that was Probably because my palate was just completely skewed. But what helped me retrain my palate was, well, fasting helped me retrain my palate. Keto helped me retrain my palate again. But actually, reducing those high-palatability foods helped me to re- re-stabilize my uh, appetite. And to give people an analogy, um, it's kind of like sex. Like, and I said this on Meta with the podcast with Meno as well: like if the only way you can get off when you're with your woman is like get out of the nipple clamps and the, um, the bats and the, uh, the sex chair and everything else, that's the only way you can actually get off, then regular plain vanilla sex is not going to do it for you at all. Regular plain vanilla sex, in this example, is, is your vegetables, right? That's microwaving your vegetables. Um, like sex chair, nipple clamp, all yeah. that kind of stuff. I don't even know what else, right? That is the equivalent of all the advertising and all the processed products that you get shoved through your, uh, your television in advertising. Now, it's fine to have it every once in a while right go for it go nuts right <laughs> but if you're doing that literally every other day or every day when you're having sex like that is a bad time if <laughs> you've got to go that far you know so and i think while maybe not that extreme example i think everyone can relate to that like people have it with um, porn addiction as well you know and they say you know, that can dull your um, satisfaction with your woman or your man whatever and so, you know, this whole, people are very big on it in Reddit, it's like, get off porn, get off fat, no fat, all that kind of stuff. Because it makes the real experience a lot better. And it's the same with food. You can dull your senses, you can dull your appetite massively. The solution is not then to jazz up the vegetables even more. Like that would be the equivalent of getting like, not just nipple clamps, but God as well else, right? The solution is not to go even further down into the extreme to make it feel good. The solution is to get your body back to bloody normal. That's what it is. No one should be having your nipple clamps uh, every single day. Save them for special occasions, just like the rest of us do. <laughs> so, so, yeah, with, with vegetable intake as well, save the fancy stuff, you know, for a vegetable special occasion. In general, you should just have your, your. as far as I do, I have um, my vegetables microwaved from frozen. And I'm, I think they're nice. I think not more than nice that's where you want to be you want to be at the point where non-processed foods taste good if you're at that stage you're on your way
0: yeah like um i think i think the uh (laughs) i think like the just to think of this as like the way i like to coach obviously like the people i think the people that we coach are very different um in terms of you have like a a variety of people that you work with so like from the bodybuilding side uh powerlifting as well is it at the moment
1: i, no. I do have a guy who wants to be strong in the squat bench but i wouldn't say he's a power
0: yeah so i think you have a lot more um uh, a lot more of a spread i would say my my yeah. kind of um demographic is a uh, general population so i try and get across the message of um we are not needing to eat less to lose weight and i think that's very important um to get to get across because the message being i think in the weight loss industry in the dieting industry is that you need to eat less and that's not the case it's like the the way you set it up is very important and the, the mindset you take into it is very important and the reason why we we I, I, um we talk about vegetable intake and fruit intake is because you can get away with a lot more food weight and food abundance and food volume by taking that approach and to, t- t- to touch on the, um, the processed foods, right. They're, they're packed with new, with, um, they're packed with energy and calories for the, for the, for the very small amount you get, for the amount of volume you get, which makes it easier to eat. Um, try and sit through, you know, a bowl of vegetables and fruit and see how you get on, try and overeat that way. Um, I think that yeah, to, to touch on that, I think, um, it's something that I would say, um, it's the way that, yeah, the way the industry kind of um tells it tells people or tells us to you need to reduce your portion sizes, that doesn't help at all. Like um that's not the way I approach it, that's not the way I try and coach it. Um and yeah, from your experience overseas, I think you could see, yeah, you can see trends. Like when I go to America, it's pretty much the, the similar setup to here in the UK. But when you go overseas, it's not as crazy as it is here like when you go to the to the store or um i think those those choices with the produce and just you know allowing yourself to eat more for less which is the way, the way i like to put it as well um is very i think healthy and it kind of unlocks some people's mindsets to how to eat i think because they think uh-huh. that because I, I had a recent comment which um which kind of set off another trigger in my head it was like um oh like I'm stuffed. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Like, that's how you should feel when dieting, like.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah keep, do, keep, do you ever get that when people say, oh, you know what, it's too much food, I couldn't possibly eat it. Like, that's the point. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a diet. <laughs> you
0: want to feel like that. And I think people, people think that they need to feel like they're starving, or they need to be eating like this much. I'm, I'm holding up like a little palm size, you know. Um, shape there but yeah exactly like it's it's not the way you should people should be looking at food um that's that's why i try and push my message across the way i do um i just i just find people don't really see it as sexy sometimes so it doesn't work for them but hey like Um, if you want to you know sorry yeah if if you want to go about doing it in your approach uh go ahead um if i don't know if you'll be happy doing it that way but you know it's kind of like carry on doing what you're doing then i'm gonna carry on eating my fructose
1: and you know, all, all of this and um yeah so um give people like a visual example um and let's see if they see if they compare at home right so my last meal last night was uh 650 grams of food right so like maybe a pound of food yeah and that was uh, on my plate i literally weighed it out and it was 650 grams of food and that was only about 450 calories so I want, people to, uh, I want people to, at home to see, weigh their food, right? And then get back to us. Weigh, weigh out your food. Not in, don't include the plate. Weigh out your actual food volume. So put the plate on the scale and add the food on top. See how much your actual food weighs. And then look at the calories and, and write in and then just look at that. I think that's pretty good. I think a 650-gram meal for 450 calories is pretty good because it was a hell of a lot of food. And that was, that was quite high fat as well. So, but that is just an example for you.
0: So in real time, Baz, I'm going to release this post uh, on my Insta soon. And uh, wait, yep. wait, let me just read out. the So it's got here, um, current meal for lunch, one apple, 10 grams nutritional yeast, 100 grams cherry tomatoes, 100 grams mushrooms, 150 grams baby spinach, 200 grams cauliflower and broccoli rice, 200 grams celery, 200 grams bell peppers, 200 grams frozen strawberries, 200 grams frozen <laughs> 100 grams tofu, 100 grams green lentils, 100 grams chickpeas.
1: And that's all there. What's the total on so that? So I can compare and feel bad about mine. <laughs> no, <laughs> two, four, six, eight, one kilo.
0: Nice. One kilo, three, one kilo, six, one, seven, 50, and then one, eight. <laughs> that's one meal. Amazing. One point eight. Yeah, that's what I just read off. <laughs> that, that, that's funny that we're getting into this because i was going to release yeah. this um but yeah it's like why I, i'm trying to get across to people look at that and that's how you could diet
1: like yeah yeah why would you not yeah that, funny you mentioned that because i'm actually thinking about increasing my vegetable intake from 300 to 400 per meal and i think but i'm having so much more look but i think people don't realize like that's not a massive amount like 300 grams looks like a lot on the plate but What most people consider to be like a portion, according to the UK government, is 80 grams. Now, you're having more than 10 times that amount. I'm having like five times that amount. So that's the potential for what you could eat. And it's and again, the caloric intake for that, I mean, I'm interested to know if you know how many calories are in that meal. But the caloric intake for that is going to be far, far less than having like a bowl of ice cream or a chocolate bar or a bag of crisps just to fill you up, to keep you going. And it's going to be better for your health and it's going to be cheaper overall as well because frozen vegetables and stuff are dirt cheap. You know, you get a kilo of vegetables for less than a pound from Iceland. So it's not like that's an excuse either. Health isn't dependent on your your income at all. Like you can get good options. So don't don't let that limit you. But I'd love to know what people you know think about that. Like, what is a good portion? And going back to what you were saying about like amount of food that people eat. Like I think people eat way too little. They need to eat more food, while they're just making the right choices for what to eat
0: sure definitely agree with that yeah um so yeah that, that's what i would say on that and that's why so just to touch on this a little topic um when people you know say i'm vegan or i'm plant-based um it's, it's kind of weird because um i see from my previous experience um i didn't do it just as the first time around um even though i was labeling myself that way um i am pretty I, I you know thinking back to the cut the first time around um uh yeah the first time around i'd so um yeah so just thinking back to that first time um of, of trying it i didn't i'm doing it better now than i did then i would say um and then along with like the maturity of you know myself now and my, my mindset now i'm i i'll be a lot happier doing it and approaching those social situations and stuff going forward um and just to this term out there nutritionism um like and the labels of stuff that we that we put on people and diets and becoming an ism now rather than you know a healthy way of approaching food um thinking back on it since our since yeah the time that we started the uh dieting phase i've pretty much been plant-based like the amount of fruits and vegetables that i eat um and my approach of going into it this uh previous week and a bit now um all I'm about to do is just take out um animal sources of protein and put in lentils legumes and you know all that tofu and all that stuff in and it's been very very easy for me uh the transition is not as hard as i think people think um but so not to go into that because we're we'll going to that in a future podcast um i'll throw it back to you with your thoughts because plant-based and whole foods for me is very sustainable like i've been practicing this for a long time now and the transition of going back to like that, that kind of approach has been very easy so to go back to the point on keto um what are your thoughts on say sustainability um after trying it um let's give a time frame of like say six to 12 months i don't know uh, could could you see yourself obviously you've said that you know you've done the experience and you've tried it but um what do you think would play a role or why do you think it's not as sustainable um for some people rather than others who like keto gains who says I've been for this long, you know, do do you know what I mean? So, yeah, if you want to
1: touch on that. Yeah, he's been in ketosis for like two two decades, I think. Um, But, yeah, so in terms of just for me me speaking individually, and uh, maybe some of the people listening can relate, um, I think ultimately the negatives were I felt my gym performance was starting to go down. Now, that is a debatable thing. I mean, had I stuck with it for longer, had I not done the refeeds, that may have been something where I would have seen an adaptation. But then it's a case of, well, you're living a relatively restrictive lifestyle, you know? So if you're not doing any refeeds, any cheap meals at all, that's a very restrictive lifestyle. Um, so, but if you, if you enjoy the health benefits and that, that means more to you than just getting a, a cheap meal in or against a meal with carbs in every now and then, then um, yeah, then, you know, it, it works because it's certainly very good. I mean, the basis of the keto diet is high protein, which is, we know is satiating, high vegetable, which we know is satiating or moderate vegetable and high fat, which in the context of what we're doing, really gets us into ketosis, which is appetite suppressing. So in terms of the actual appetite suppression effects, yes, it's very good. But in terms of, could I do this for a lifetime? I'll say I probably couldn't. I don't think I'm motivated enough to do that because I wouldn't want to I would Because whenever I did have the cheat meal or a refeed, I felt much, much worse coming off the back of keto. I didn't like that feeling. I would literally feel ill on a Sunday morning if I had a refeed on a Saturday night. I didn't like that. And I trained my heavy sessions on a Sunday morning. So that was quite counterproductive. Um, So, yeah, I would say overall, it's a way of eating. And it's a system. And like we've talked about, whether you're going plant-based or whether you're going keto, the system, you've got to have a system. For me personally, I didn't like the restriction. Now, in terms of positives, I will say this. My system works very well on meat. Like, I could go carnivore if I wanted to. Like, I I work very, very well on meat. Meat and fat, great. Love digesting it. I never have any problems with it. My digestion, by and large, is actually very good. So I would say it's good. Um, Also, I love eating vegetables. So again, there's that as well. So I could do the diet very well. My issue would be when there would be the introduction of the treats. Now, this is when I would use keto at the tail end of a contest prep diet, or to begin, let's say a 16 week contest prep, because then I'm not looking to have a great deal of cheats or refeeds anyway. I'm just looking to go straight through. So then I probably would say, okay, that's a situation where my food intake needs to reflect the um, deadline, let's say that I've got. So that's when it might be a potential option that I would look at. And my caloric volume, my caloric needs would be so low, because I was that lean that I might benefit from the additional benefits of our tax suppression of actually being ketosis. So, but I wouldn't say it's something like a day-to-day necessary for me because the current diet model I'm, I have right now is working, is working fine, which is actually some very similar to yours, um, which is pretty cool, just with meat. So yeah, I, I, yeah, that would be my general synopsis of kind of what I'm doing. Nice. Yeah. So,
0: yeah that, that that was uh interesting to hear back from yourself because i think sustainability is very important as well obviously adherence um and just finding out you know what is the best approach for you um like we always say I feel, I feel like it's becoming like a repetitive thing but um like 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 i mentioned from my experience of i've pretty much been plant-based um but i wouldn't be like classed as it in some some people's eyes because i, I was consuming animal products but just take that out, and I have no problems because if you take away the vegetables and fruits from me, it's like no way like um I'm not having that, so um yeah um that that was really interesting interesting to hear in terms of um like sustainability um and kind of how it works for some people but for some people it doesn't so um yeah, if you wanted to segue into the tracking aspect,
1: yeah. Yeah, so I'll just say before before I do, I think about, we, we talk a lot about finding your own approach, but it really is everything, like, please don't succumb to um, diet fadology or zealous it, it's just, it's not for you, you've got to find your own way, and you'll notice with the conversation that, um, even with me doing keto, um, Sunil's kind of moved away from that, gone to a plant-based approach, like, you've got to find your own approach, you've got to. Um, and if you don't, then again, you'll be, you'll succumb to the environment and and that's not a good one for trying to be lean, but uh, there's, I think try and avoid for, for people listening at home, what I'm trying to say is try and avoid having a moral or ethical standpoint on food. I don't think that's a very healthy approach. And I'm actually going to share, I was going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, what were you saying?
0: No, the, the ism. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Like, Yeah. yeah.
1: 100, and it's actually part of a study I'm going to show, talk about next time we do the podcast about meat and mental health, um, and yeah, I think I think you'll like it, but basically it's looking at the avoidance of meat and how that lends into higher d- the cases of psychological problems, but it's more a case of like what are we doing there? Like I don't see you uh, in that in that category. Of people because you're focused on what you like to eat, what you can eat. You're not taking a moral or ethical standpoint against it. And I think when you're taking a moral or ethical standpoint against something as basic as the food you eat, that's when um, certainly the statistics are clear that it's it, it can either cause or correlate with a high degree of mental problems and that is not great and people want to know the study that I'm referring to. I'm looking at meat and mental health a systematic review of meat abstention and depression anxiety and related phenomena and that uh, it was released in 2020 April so if people want to look that up feel free um, but that we're going to talk more about that next time when Sunil's got his part about um, about the plant-based diet but um, as I say I don't think it applies to you at all because you're I don't think you're doing it for those reasons so I think that I think that more applies to people who are have that diet zealotry the isms that you mentioned The the labels. Yeah. So whereas if I'm doing keto and you're doing um plant-based, people might see us as polar opposites. But actuality, what your plate looks like and what my plate looks like is very, very similar. So our plate, we could eat together side by side, it would be absolutely no problem at all. It would it would be absolutely fine. I think that's when we're looking at what's common about the diet is a massive amount of vegetables, high food volume, high satiety. Those are common in both scenarios. I think that's far more about dissecting the diet and rather than being succumbing to labels, we'll say, well, okay, let's look beyond the label. What are the similarities here? And there are, there are lots of similarities. And you know what, Sunil? That is an analogy for life. And us and people of all different colors and races. <laughs> Copy and paste to everything else, like. <laughs> look under the label. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but segue on to um, tracking, just a final bit. So um, I wanted to sort of have a give you guys a bit of a confession. So I've not really tracked for the last probably year and a half. There you go, right? Not a tracker. Now, for the most part, I still use that with clients, but it's an experimental model that I'm building on with myself. Um, So over the last sort of year and a half, I've firstly started off with just being sick of tracking. I mean, I've tracked in some format for 21 years now, so maybe more 22, 23 years. So initially started from born out of that, I was just burnt out, I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I've started to develop a framework for what are essentially diet rules or habits, or I call it a framework anyway, a framework of eating, of what can I use to uh, not track calories, as in, cause calories again, always matter, but not actually go into my fitness pal every day and every meal and track my calories. So how can I create the sustainable diet approach, which doesn't involve tracking calories on a day-to-day basis? Because I believe ultimately, um, long-term is probably not a strategy that many people will do. I know one guy who does calories long-term and um, he's, a, he's a close friend of mine and he's been doing, he's actually tracked every day for about six six years if, or more than that, you know? So I knew a guy who tracked for like 10 years, for example, but there aren't many people who manage to work that on a consistent basis. What I do believe could be more fruitful for people is having these habits, rules, a framework, but I've not decided what I'm going to call it yet. But essentially I have like a, a list of conditions that I satisfy for when I want to put together a meal, put together an eating plan for myself rather than tracking calories. Then the nature of what I eat is what determines how many calories I have. So it, 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 it covers on a lot of stuff that you and I have talked about just in this podcast, is having super high food volume to enable you to have more food for less calories, to enable you to be more full. And in being more full, what happens is, as a natural result, you are better able to control your cave cravings. And if you're better able to control your cravings, then over time, you reach this zen-like state where you no longer need to have like a bunch of stuff, which is going to make you fatter than you want to be and you'll live a life where you are eating till fullness, but not actually ha- being able to control the cravings, um, which allows you to hold, hold your body weight steady. Now, I'm just going to say to begin with, like calorie tracking is still immensely useful, uh, immensely. Useful. So let's just pair it back. Bear in mind, this is coming off the back of 20 years of calorie tracking. So, and I can still guesstimate, like I can look at a plate of food and I can guesstimate, how many calories are in that food. So I have that innate ability, which 20 years of tracking has given me. But what I'm trying to do is just to emphasize here, just to begin with, tracking calories isn't just nonsense and rubbish. Like, right? I don't want people to mistake the fact that I'm moving into this approach to then think my endorsement for saying calorie tracking is crap. is not like, it's still like very, very useful. And for most people I work with, and I work with like a lot of Gen pop people, they'll come to me and they'll have absolutely zero idea of how much they're eating. And the net, that's not a bad thing in itself because it doesn't matter. Because if you're going to a no-tracking approach, that's okay. But the net effect is this. they This is this is a very, very common problem. They are horrified when they realize how much they're actually eating because society has told them not to eat more than, say, 1,200, 1,500 calories to lose weight. But they are horrified with what they're actually eating. Now, for most people who come to me, say say a woman at 80 kilos, 90 kilos, they would be horrified to see that they are actually eating two to three thousand or more calories per day because they genuinely are i had an example a couple of years back where a, a lass insisted she was eating 800 calories and it turned out after a few weeks of tracking that she was actually eating 2400 calories every day and that was with her trying to cut back so she was probably eating three 3,000 to three and a half thousand calories every day prior to that can uh, you can you, say
0: just for the audience what was going wrong there like that, that, that might be helpful for the audience what was
1: going wrong what so what's going wrong is quite a lot of things firstly at the heart of it people are not used to restricting what they eat in the environment they eat in we are not built for that now that's what's referred to as the scarcity mindset like if you feel something is scarce you value it more we eat up until the point where our environment allows us to eat. Let's say, for example, I've got nothing in the house but fruits and vegetables and whatever. I will eat up to that amount, okay? Let's say I have a cupboard full of chocolate sweets. I guarantee you there will be a compulsion to eat them all at some point because they're there. So the scarcity mindset can relate to calories as well in that if we have a set number of calories, like 2000, we're gonna eat up to that point and we're gonna feel almost anxious to get up to that point. Now, in terms of how people make this as a mistake at home is, well, they're not aware. So they eat to what their environment tells them to eat. So if they have got a cupboard packed full of food, they're gonna to eat to that point. Now, they have no reference point whatsoever of how many calories that is. They vaguely read the back of a packet occasionally if they're kind of switched on, but it is exceptionally easy to not be aware because if you like for example my niece she's three years old right she doesn't have a scooby about how many calories are in her food she doesn't know she doesn't care now if you've never been taught you're never going to know you're never going to know like for, for guys like you and me that's kind of quite an alien concept like i imagine even for yourself you can look at a plate and you can probably fairly well guesstimate how much is in it because you've just tracked calories for so long now for those people who were in their first second third fourth or even fifth year of doing this they're not going to know they're just not without actually measuring out weighing out so the first very basic thing is that calorie tracking and knowing how much is on your plate by our very evolutionary definition we are designed to do that poorly we are designed to eat however well whatever is in front of us like for example if, if um you know paleolithic uh, man or whatever it is a prehistoric man found a a lot of honey or honey, they wouldn't look at it and dissect little bits of it. They would nail it all and then move on. You just have what's in your constant surroundings. That ability to look at your food and actually partition it out, that's a very alien concept to us. And if we've never been taught to do it, it's very alien. And I think people that's where people underestimate it because on the one hand, they are absolutely oblivious to the reality of what's in the food. And again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I don't wanna inject any kind of like um, shame in people here. That's not what I'm I'm here for, but people have zero idea. But on the other hand, they are told that you're only supposed to eat 1200 calories. So they then are horrified when they realize they're eating double that. But the fact is for most normal men and women who are a little bit overweight or obese, eating two, two to 3000 calories is a very, very normal occurrence. Like it's not abnormal whatsoever. And so you get these people on Reddit or people might come to you and go, yeah, you know, what? I don't understand what's going wrong. I'm eating 1200 calories a day. I've been doing that forever and I never lose any weight. And you where you know full well that that's not the case. And so trying to unpick that is the first job. And so this is where calorie tracking becomes useful because if you get them to track accurately, that's when they learn. Now the next problem is getting them to track accurately because that aversion tracking that aversion to the realization that holy shit i'm eating two and a half thousand calories that aversion is going to prevent them from being honest and they're not going to do it on purpose there's going to be a subconscious thing in their brains which is going to be holy crap this is horrifying i everyone in society tells me i should be eating 1200 calories i'm overweight i don't know what to do about it the reality is now dawning upon me that i'm overweight because it's my fault because i've been eating twice that three times that. That's a very difficult barrier to break through. And it's a very difficult realization for a lot of people. And that is what you're up against. So this has me in two minds, And this is part of the reason why I'm now developing this framework, because I think I see that every time. And it's massively difficult to break through that. It can take months, Sunil. It can literally take months to break through that barrier with people, because they are horrified with their perception of what they feel is the problem and what society is told to eat when all they need to do is, and then that obviously causes other things. It causes them to be um, anxious about their food and then overeat. So it it draws, it draws into this never ending cycle where they believe they should be eating 1200 calories. They are actually eating far more. They're getting anxious about that. There's a whole circle of denial there, which stresses them out. So then they eat a lot more and so they never break out of that cycle. So calorie tracking can be useful as a means of just showing someone those, how much they're eating, and then having that as a standard. Okay, you're eating 3,000 calories. That's actually a great thing because it means that we can cut down to 2,500, which is still a ton of food. And we can implement some, you know, food um, plateability, uh, food volume uh, rules, and we can still have you eating a ton of food while losing weight. What they what they actually hear is in their minds, okay. I'm being told I'm fat because I overeat on a daily basis and I eat two or three times the amount that, that society tells you I should eat. Now you've just told me I'm fat because I'm, I just overeat and I'm a glutton. That's what they hear. What they should hear, and it can be that damaging to people. Like It can be that serious. Um, it can be a very, very negative experience for a lot of people. And that's why a lot of people who you see on like Reddit and stuff, They were very against calorie tracking. They think it doesn't work because they've been burned by that experience, that realization that, holy shit, like I might be eating three times as much, but I don't even want to hear that in my brain. So I'm just going to say calorie tracking is shit. This guy tells me insulin hypothesis is real. And so I'm going to believe him because he tells me it's not my fault. He tells me it's insulin. Now, bottom line is it's not their fault. Okay, no one's trying to assign blame, but they feel the blame. They feel the shame. Of, say, of thinking to, of real of, of beginning to realize, holy crap! I was eating three thousand calories a day, or I was eating two thousand. They don't want to hear that. Most people are so embarrassed and shocked by that they don't want to hear it. So calorie tracking is useful to at least set a standard for saying, "Let's let's be real." Now, that is when you go into why it's not useful, and it's not useful because, oftentimes, people that come to you and come to me for coaching. They already feel bad about themselves. If they've got to the point where they want to part money to actually lose weight, they already feel bad about themselves. They already are at that breaking point. So you you have a very delicate psyche, there, a very delicate person. So it's negative in the sense that do you want them to experience that guttural reaction away from those real feelings of like shock, horror, disappointment, embarrassment, shame? Do you want them to go through that milieu of experience just so you can show them, actually, you know what you're eating two and a half thousand calories, not 800. Like you said, you were, do we need that? i have worked with so many people and it breaks my heart when I have to have this conversation because I've thought it's the way that things have to be done. So I'm starting to now develop a framework for saying, okay, carry track is useful. but you know what? It might be better six months down the road, we'll hit a plateau and we're trying to figure out why we can't lose any further. Initially, we might actually be better implementing some simple diet rules. Maybe look at the my meal composition hierarchy. What should your meal look like? Uh, maybe look at habits. How many meals per day? Um, how long to wait between meals? So stuff like that that I'm working on right now, and I'll cover that in a different podcast, but it's still an experimental thing for me right now because I'm doing it myself. It might be better to not allow, let those people who come to you looking for help be exposed to this whole world of calorie tracking because... Not because it's your fault, but simply because society has told them that if they eat anything over 1200, they're a gluten, they're fat, and it's their fault. Because it's fucking not. It's not their fault. People eat what they're going to eat based on their environment. So, my, what I'm trying to do with this, uh, we're trying to look at with the whole tracking thing is like, do we need to expose people to all that? Or can we just start to shape their environments and forego this? Um, massive um, psychological sort of barrier that they have towards seeing what they've actually had, which has been created through a society which tells you you, you're fat and a glutton if you eat more than 1,200 calories. But on the other hand, advertises a bunch of like sugary and fatty products at you all all times of day and and makes you want to eat all this stuff and has it advertised on every, every McDonald's and every Burger King you drive by. There's that massive contradiction there and people are stuck in the middle. And and my thing is like maybe I don't want them to be exposed to calorie tracking. Maybe I want to just look at some simple food rules and make them feel good about a few wins before I get into the whole numbers game.
0: I need to go off on this as well because the the food industry and what what I'm seeing now is is like this push towards calories and the emphasis is it's not the food's fault. Um, it's because you're inactive, it's because you're not exercising. When in reality, you could just to take on um, some points from a uh, who was preaching this back in the day, who was saying focusing on diet and do one hour of walking and that's it. Which from, from my experience, there's no problem with that uh, advice. But I feel like now the emphasis is on calorie tracking. Um, it's not the food's fault. It is um, it's because you're you're inactive. You you're a, a couch potato, and that's so far from the truth. Because the reason why I love the plant based approach so much or the reason why fruits and vegetables are the foundation of my diet is because from what i've experienced personally um that way of eating helped me so much um in terms of coming out of the diet um i allowed myself to be able to eat a, if, if i put the amount of food that i eat in front of someone and said eat this i think the majority of the time they would be surprised at you know how much food is that to be to, to be eaten um i've experienced this with a client recently who i'm not tracking calories with um i i I told him set up your plate this way i'm not gonna tell you what to eat i'm just giving you rules to set up your plate and they sent me a picture of it and they said after i had this i was full for ages and I i was like i was like thank god um so yeah um just to just to touch on that point of what you just said i feel like this push towards calories is fucking bullshit um it's taken the approach away from like, I have my own biases, obviously. Um, I have my own methods. Um, I try and push that with my clients. I try to show them this. Um, and I, I share my food as well. I share my Tupperware containers. They're the biggest Tupperware containers you can get from Azda, And they're filled at the top with food. And I have two of those now. And you'll see that on my YouTube coming forward um, with the plant-based approach. Uh, I don't know i don't know where the lack of understanding comes from um because when i see shit like um fruit is bad for you because of fructose that really pisses me off as well because from what i share of like 400 grams of blueberries um and strawberries together in one meal that to me is not unhealthy and if someone comes around and says fructose will make you fat that like to me that pisses me off now like um, I'm getting to the point now where I'm sick of the the industry, and I don't know whether it's, it's the fitness industry per se, because fitness and nutrition, the nutrition industry, I feel I don't know are this are they is the word synonymous or are they completely separate? Because fitness is for would you say performance and activity, whereas nutrition is more for health. Because there's I don't know how to put it, but. It's, it's kind of like, I feel like sometimes people within like the fitness industry have no concept whatsoever of nutrition and saying something like fruit is bad for you because of sugar and not understanding, you know, like how fiber, how fiber helps with keeping you full. Like it's, I'm it's, getting to the point now where I'm getting really frustrated with, because just from my experiences of coming out of a dieting phase on the amount of calories that I was on, and I was still fitting in the amount of fruit that I was eating and listening to people say, you know, watch out for fruit. I mean, at certain stages of depending on who you are and what population you are, whether you're a bodybuilder will be different to someone on Gen pop. But then someone on Gen pop will listen to the information given to the bodybuilder and think that applies to them. So there's so much shit going on. Um, and I feel like, yeah, it, a lot of the stuff gets misinterpreted, if that makes sense. I don't know if it yeah. does.
1: No, it does. Uh, I think with regard going back to your point about sort of nutritionists and, and and fitness, I think <clears throat> there's no clear definition on either side. This is why there's a problem. Like you get self-proclaimed nutritionists who who believe that calories don't matter. I've seen it. I've, I've actually have one on my Instagram follow list. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. I don't want to trash her because she's got a company, but she she works out of um, Derby and she doesn't believe in the calorie tracking at all. She and she's a self-proclaimed nutritionist.
0: So eat whatever you want. It doesn't matter what food sources and stuff, but just eat till you feel happy,
1: till you feel full. Is that- that's just, a, that's how you lose weight. You just eat the stuff that she promotes and that's how you lose weight, carries that matter. So yeah, I mean, there are nutritionists out there who, who, again, I think it's just a case of who's good and who's bad, to be honest, because it's the same in the bodybuilding industry. If I can give you uh, an insight there, we are starting to see a shift away from the bodybuilding, if it fits your macros law back to more of a healthy approach now bodybuilders traditionally have been this whole low fat high carb model and we're still some circles who do that now we all start to see some other people who are being a lot more of a healthful approach now the reason that the bodybuilding industry does that has been kind of they loosely say it's something to do with the performance enhancing effects of carbs but reality is it's, it's to do with insulin use and, and just packing your body full of as much insulin as possible um, now we also see some coaches look at more of a health-based approach, where they're having a lot more of healthy fats, a lower protein. And there is, there is one prominent coach out there who's doing that, and he's having far less protein, more like a gram per pound, um, far less carbs, far more healthy fats, and balancing his athletes out there, so they're actually having a push towards health. So I think in either realm, fitness or nutrition, there are just bad players, and that's part of what it is. Bad players who just look at the numbers and nothing but the numbers. And then I think as you work with people, as you work more and more with people, you either learn that, like like I have, that you know what, it's not always the best thing because yes, it works, but there might be a better way of putting people through something like that, which isn't going to be as intrusive on their lifestyles and is going to be perhaps easier for them mentally. And if you can do that, then you could perhaps reintroduce calories later, six months down the line, when they've had a plateau or when they're more mentally healthy and mentally ready to actually do this. I think you've always got to bear in mind, like, people are coming to you for something like that they're probably unhappy they're probably unhappy because that's they're they're, they're motivated you know maybe they're not unhappy but maybe they're motivated so yeah i think they're just bad players in both fields and um i i think like we're preaching here you've got to have a much more holistic viewpoint a, a person is not just numbers they're more than numbers they have to be what's on the plate what is actually healthy what is satiating because you can put a hunger in a box for so long, but it's either going to rear its head or it's going to cause you some psychological distress somewhere down the road. Either way, it's going to be bad.
0: Yeah, so that, that put on the psychological distress, like um, the reason why I take like my kind of approach, I've, I've read this in a study as well, where um, the reason why I like my plant-based foundation uh, and fruit foundation is because it allows for, I don't know if like eating ad lib um is the is the right phrase but it's a lot freaking harder to overeat on fruits and vegetables than it is other food items that that's what i'm trying to, to get across like try it and, and come back to me and tell me you know how much you're you're able to eat um the amount of fiber that you, you're, gonna, you're gonna take in um like no one ever uh <laughs> binge on an apple like multiple apples or 100 apples like it's it's very freaking hard to try and do that um that's why I try and preach. I try and put them in the mindset of fill the freaking plate fill, or whatever you're eating on with food. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I'm trying to go towards more of that route. And obviously, I do still believe in I, I still do believe in calories, um, but it's a lot harder to to do that with fruit and vegetables. That's what I'm trying to show people. Um,
1: yeah. The um, so if I could just sort of piggyback on that, the problem that I've had with that and the solution that i've given is when you say um have a lot of vegetables people don't understand what a lot is so i've in developing my framework i'm looking at actual amounts because i feel that you need to actually give somebody a concrete amount otherwise they don't realize what a lot is for some people a lot is a serving because they work oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. that's where i find working with people but you're but you do that really well because you show your plates you show actually what you're eating so i found if i'm working with somebody I have to give them sort of. I have to say, look, you want to aim for this amount per meal. And they're like, whoa, that amount per meal. And for some reason, some people, and for me, probably my next step is, I'm probably going to go up to 400 grams of vegetables per meal. So for, for some people, that's five a day, you know. So that's be 1.6 kilos of veg per meal per me, per day because I have four meals a day. Right now, I'm on 300 grams per meal. That's 1.2 kilos, and that's fibrous carbs. So 1.2 kilos of fibrous carbs per day, which is a hell of a lot now. I guess when I, when I say it, when people see that, they can't fathom, like I can actually eat that three, three or four times a day. But that's going back to what we were talking about. Like people say, that's a lot of food. It's like, yeah, it is, but that's the point. And so I, I found it, one of the things that I've done in my, um, in my sort of habits, rules, principles, whatever, is to actually specify amounts. And um, I'm still working it out because it's got to be based on body weight and appetite and all that kind of stuff. But in general, like you're saying, you can't really overdo them.
0: So, so, funny point on that someone actually told me that um they had 200 to 400 grams of veg-, veg in one in one meal and they were like that was a lot and i was i was thinking in my head what the hell like i'm having over a kilo and I'm so, I'm so, but um that, that's funny though because um to touch on like appetite after a dieting phase and going into maintenance i think this is very important as well because that's what helped me like you don't understand how much that helped me um practicing the fruits and veg coming out of um, the diet and rebounding that's why i'm such a firm believer in it because of my experience with that so yeah that, that, that's funny because um other people's interpretations could be different but like you said give them give them some reference i guess and i guess the pictures that i kind of share in videos gives some reference um and i'm and, and I'm, I'm leaning towards more now kind of giving people numbers um just to go off because i feel like what you said like a vague term like a lot of vegetables could be misinterpreted i guess yeah so
1: yeah, i mean try it try it i mean with your guys they might be okay with just your pictures um you know because you actually visually see it um, i don't do a lot of like full day of eating stuff but i did take a picture of the last thing i ate and i showed it to a couple of my clients but um yeah i think you know i think it needs that you know i guess you know what i i want to talk about it's more on the plant-based um, podcast but if you can just give me a quick answer on this because i'm dying to know like So the differences between our diets are pretty much just the meat versus for you, it's you have different meat sources. I've always been under the impression that the meat is going to be a more satiating, uh, less caloric um, source of protein. Am I wrong there? Or like, what's your experience there? Because you do it via like legumes and tofu, right? Or stuff like that, right?
0: Legumes, tofu. um, I don't know if you've looked into the research on this as well, like the evidence, but I've read stuff that, you know, the whole myth of combining proteins um yeah. it's not, is not what was previously thought because
1: yeah
0: if you get in, if you get in a protein just in general you're not gonna be deficient so like yeah. the protein from veg um so they on my first I, ca- I can share my screen with you if you want because i've got yeah. my i've got my yeah, um so yeah so my protein sources if you want to call them are tofu green lentils um n- nutritional yeast i was showing you as well yeah. um what else, the chickpeas. Um, there was, there's, I'll show you now. Um, this is my first time doing yeah, this. Let me just see, i kidney
1: beans as well. Uh, I really like that stuff. I actually, I love legumes and stuff like that. Um, but then I love meat as well, so I don't know. Maybe it's something for me,
0: guys. For me, if I can get in my veg and fruits, that's enough for me. Like, yeah, I don't really care about anything
1: else. Um, can you see this? Um Yep. Start screen share. It's coming. I think it's coming. I just started yeah. start screen share.
0: Okay. So can you see that? Yeah.
1: Oh, there we go. I've got it. Yep. Yeah, got
0: it. All right. Um, I'll put you cool. there. So you can see here where I was okay. 100,000 steps. <laughs> so yeah. after that, after that challenge, I went into plant-based around, I would say the first so here
1: yeah
0: um, so this is what i go over in my video so if you look at my caloric intake before which is yeah sitting around 3000 before going into the, into the plant based approach which is here um, yeah. on average now i'm eating 2300 which is here right and if you look at the yeah. way i'm eating um remember how i was saying like protein for me was a big thing but now that i've started to push yeah. the, the plants and the whole grains um uh-huh. protein's pretty much come down and then carbs are higher fats are kind of moderate i would say
1: yeah you're still eating the 0.8 grams per pound um, yeah. which is which many recommends
0: yeah for, for me it's a lot easier doing that with the um the extra fiber like the the emphasis of it being with the fruits and veg um
1: exactly eating the right amount of protein that men recommend and if what you're saying is it doesn't matter about the protein source then you've covered your protein for muscle building you're good to go with
0: the the the, the sparing effect right because the calories are so yeah so my body weight has been trending down and satiation and appetite have been lower so i guess it's Oh, satiation has been higher. You mean, um, oh, no, no, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so I'm, I'm feeding more full on yep. this approach on like 2,300 calories. Sorry, yeah, yeah that's what I meant to say. And my body weight has been trending down now. So you can see here. That's amazing. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's like, I've, I kind of knew this um, in terms of like the approach of, oh, how do I get back out of this? So... Oh, you gotta
1: hit, hit stop sharing. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, no. so
0: yeah, I yeah. thought I'd share that with you quickly, um, without getting into it too much. But this approach is like freaking crazy. For That's me.
1: interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy because I'm I'm reacting well to the fiber, basically.
1: What's your fat intake at the moment?
0: Roughly, I think there it was. We can look back on it. Sorry, but um, let me just uh,
1: can I? I, I did, you know what? Because I'm just on the podcast um, or not, or going to want to, I'm just going to talk through the numbers a little bit. So, do you want to share it again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, my, my so my question was this, right? I want to know how does the protein element affect things? Because for everything that I've seen, protein is a very satiating um, macro. Now, what Sunil's saying is that prior when he was doing a more of a meat based approach, um, he was eating more. So, the average calories are probably 3,000 5,000 And I remember you you were actually relatively hungry on that approach. Yeah, you, know, so you were. So when you switched to a vegan based approach, your fat intake went down to, okay, it's a reasonable amount, 60 to 70 to 80 grams. Protein intake was roughly about 1.8 grams per kilo of body weight, which is right around what Mena says is the ideal amount of protein for muscle building. So it's not just general health, but muscle building, you're eating enough. Carbs were up about 300 grams and overall caloric intake went down because your fat intake was down and your protein intake was down and you're saying that you felt more full doing that
0: yeah like the, the vegetables and fruit um i have been faz i've been, i've been i've been having whole grains as well so oats remember before i was saying like oats didn't really work well for me but because really? i'm pushing but because for two of my meals i'm pushing a lot of um uh fruits and veg i'm finding like if i have a third meal of fruit and veg that it's, it's not going to it's going to it's basically going to overkill me so i'm able to have oats because it's not as as fibrous yeah. um and i can get away with that on this approach so yeah that's what i've been learning basically this past kind of two weeks on that so because i'm pushing a lot of the veg and fruit it's helping me more in terms of um feeding full sorry yeah
1: brilliant no, that, that's that's interesting i i'd like to explore that in a whole plant-based episode um but that's a bit of a i guess a um a chestnut for people for next episode <laughs> um but that was um that was very i'm, I'm genuinely interested because I, I think i mean while i do really enjoy meat and i respond well to it i, I respond well to most things dietary wise so perhaps at some point i will experiment with meals which are composed protein sources or like chickpeas legumes just to get the experience of doing so matching that with a lot of vegetables be interesting you know, i mean i i love kidney beans I, i've always loved kidney beans I, I like chickpeas okay but kidney beans I love chickpeas I love the and dal like lentils love that absolutely love that
0: that was my favorite food like I swear to god it's my yeah. favorite food. huge
1: into all, all the different types of uh, of lentils like the orange the brown the green I love them all like I really do um and I'm massive on kidney beans I keep saying that I love kidney beans but um yeah so that's it's something I'd like to explore at some point maybe I will maybe I will maybe next time next day we will forego the meat see how it goes but either way as just to if people are at home thinking that's a bit flippant it's really not because the bulk of our diets are still very similar like minus and diets probably what is two-thirds of the plate would be exactly the same on my plate as on your plate it's still just a load of vegetables so yeah all right awesome should we uh wrap it up there
0: So we'll wrap it up here. Leave in the comments below if um, something was of interest to you or if you want us to talk about it uh, more in another podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.